This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Welcome to Puro Politics, the political podcast of the San Antonio Express News. My name is Gilbert Garcia, Metro columnist, and I'm joined by business editor and columnist Greg Jefferson, columnist editorial board member Kerry Clack. It's December 13th as we record this, which is the filing deadline for Texas primary races, uh, also known as uh, Christmas for political consultants. And um, <laughs> I've been able to, to finally been able to tear myself away from the uh, Beatles Get Back documentary long enough to think about politics yeah. for a little bit because I've been kind of obsessive for the last couple of weeks, but I've, I'm kind of, um, Same here. sort of coming back into the real world and <laughs> it's, it's, it's a strange and scary place, but uh, <laughs> um, there's a lot happening now and I wanted to start with something that um, was, I, it was a real surprise to me uh, and probably to a lot of other people. We had the announcement last week that Matthew Dowd, who entered the Democratic primary race for lieutenant governor with great fanfare in late September. We talked about it at the time. Um, he's in certainly in political terms, he would he qualifies as a pretty big celebrity. He was um, the chief political strategist for George W. Bush in the 2004 presidential race. He had he'd worked for Democrats before that, and he 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 uh, ended up. Uh, breaking with Bush over the Iraq war and had uh, recently kind of started to identify himself as, as a Democrat. And he's somebody who has over 250,000 Twitter followers, somebody who is an ABC news political analyst. So it got a lot of attention when he entered the Lieutenant governor's race. And last week after about two and a half months, he decided that he was getting out of the race. And the reason that he cited was that um, when he got in, there was, as he put it, there was he, he thought he was running against another white male Christian, Mike Collier, who was the 2018 Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor. And we had it, it, it had since become clear that there were going to be uh, other candidates entering the race. Um, you had Michelle Beckley, uh, uh, a female state representative running. Um, there, you know, there was there, there were other people entering and he decided that he w didn't want to stand in the way of diversity. So, um, Carrie, I just want, kind of want to get your thoughts, like what your reaction was when you heard that, uh, that he decided, uh, uh, Matthew Dow decided not to run. I was surprised also. I was, uh, I actually, I thought that, uh, he stood a, a excellent chance of winning the nomination. I mean, a lot of folks who may not otherwise follow the Lieutenant governor's race, you would see him, you know, on MSNBC all the time. And I, and I, I like the presence he has on Twitter. He's just, um, 
kind of this 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 moral wise voice. And I was shocked uh, when the news came across last week that he wasn't going to run. Now, the, the whole thing about getting out because of the diversity of the field, I'm, I'm kind of torn on that. I think, mm-hmm. as you wrote it, on one hand, it's it's condescending, but I'm, I, wasn't it wasn't it Dowd in two thousand eight who made the announcement that he was that during the presidential election he wasn't going to be uh, he wasn't going to do anything because he wasn't going to stand in the way of the first African American being elected president of the United States. That's interesting. I don't remember he did that, but that sounds like some, I, I could totally see him doing that. Yeah, but I was surprised and uh, actually interested in. And what y'all y'all thought, you know, it was a matter of fundraising or mm-hmm. something lurking out there. Yeah, Greg, what did you make of that when you when you heard about this? I guess I wasn't uh, I wasn't terribly surprised. So you know, two and a half months ago when he announced, there was a big splash, uh, but very little follow up. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, he, yeah. there, you, you know, he clearly didn't engender, you know, he, he didn't spark a lot of excitement. Uh, you know, he didn't, you know, he wasn't getting a lot of earned media. So he wasn't getting covered by, by the the press, by television news. Um, And I think part of it has to do with the fact that there's, you know, I mean, he's a national, you know, he's a national figure in that, you know, we know him as a news analyst on television. He's got a Twitter following, but I think there's a huge, you know, that's not the same thing as being in touch with voters. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's right. You've got a very small population of 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 Texans who watch MSNBC regularly um and who follow him on on Twitter. And you know, in in those realms, yeah, he I mean, you know, Matthew Dowd is a big deal. Um you know, on the ground in in Floresville, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, he just you know he where the votes are. I think yeah. he had a. I think he had a. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, I just think he, uh, you know, he didn't have, you know, he had maybe, you know, I wouldn't question his reasons for getting into the race, mm-hmm. but I mean, maybe it became clear to him after a while that he just didn't, you know, he what hasn't been in this long enough, mm-hmm. uh, like Mike Collier, who's already been through an election cycle. Uh, to really have, you know, support at the grassroots. And, you know, maybe he's maybe he saw some internal polling that showed, look, I mean, there was really no path forward that, you know, Collier's already been, you know, to these communities. He's he's already lined up, you know, his endorsements. He's got his support. Um, and maybe Dowd struggled with that. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think I think that's right. And and as you said, I mean, he, he, he we saw him tended to see him more on MSNBC over these past couple of months than on, uh, you know, news outlets mm-hmm. in, in Texas. Um, you know, the, the I, I think the the issue, the idea of trying to create room for diversity. I mean, it's 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 an interesting one. But the the, the thing that didn't ring true to me about this was that, you know, he got in the race in late September. Filing began in November, on November 13th. And there was always the possibility when he got in the race that you would have female candidates or you would have people of color entering the race that he had to know that that was a possibility. If you're going to commit to running and you're going to ask people to, to, to donate money. And if you're, if you're thinking all along is I'm going to pull out at the first sign of, you know, diversity in the field, then I think that's, you know, I, I, 
then you probably shouldn't run at all, you know, in, in that case. And so I don't, it didn't really make a lot of sense. And even though uh, there had been some talk about the fact um, that at the top of uh, what looks like will be the top of the Democratic ticket this year, we were going to have white men. We we're going to probably have Beth O'Rourke as the gubernatorial nominee. We we're going to have either Collier or, or we were going to have Dowd most likely uh, as the lieutenant governor nominee. Uh. And so there was a lot of talk of what, you know, why, why, why are the Democrats in this position? But I think if we look at the recent history for all the lack of diversity and inclusion in our society, in Texas Democratic politics, uh, in, in statewide races, we had seen some diversity. We had seen 2006, 2010, 2014, the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor was a Latina. In 2018, we had uh, Michael Cooper, an African-American pastor from Beaumont, nearly beat Mike Collier in the the primary for lieutenant governor i think he got nearly 48%. so there had been you know some some diversity there I, what what i'm uh you know hearing is that um i think he was taken aback and really disappointed uh with the response from the party organization that they did not it's not just that they didn't embrace him but that he probably felt that he wasn't getting a fair shake you had shortly after matthew dowd got in the race Gilberto Hinojosa, the state party chair, put out a statement, which was not an official endorsement of Mike Collier, but was about as close as you could get. He was talking about what a great guy Mike Collier was, and he's been a friend for years. And it was it was pretty obvious what was going on there. And then a week before Matthew Dowd pulled out of the race, 26 of the 31 um, uh, state Democratic Executive Committee uh, chairs came out at the same time and endorsed Mike Collier. And I think this was happening at the state and at the county level where people in the party organization felt a certain loyalty to Mike Collier because he had run in 2018 and, and maybe it was perceived that he was paying dues. I, I don't know if it was because there was suspicion of Dowd because he had been a Republican because uh, Mike Collier had also been a Republican at one time, not as in, not in as high profile a way, but you know they both are basically moderate Democrats who have some Republican history. But I think that there was just mm. a certain sense that Mike Collier has, has been working at this for four years and he's he's been out there and Matthew Dowd's coming kind of coming in at the last minute here. And people were uh, I, I think you had county party chairs and, and at the state level, the organization was just rallying behind uh, Collier. And I think Dowd just saw this is this is not working, as, as you said, Greg. So, um, uh, I, so I, I didn't really buy the the explanation that he gave. Um, but I think it's, you know, I think he was a really interesting candidate, yeah, I, I, you know. Yeah, I was going to say just uh, anytime uh, a candidate drops out of a race, I think it's okay if you're a bit skeptical of the reasons they give for leaving the race. <laughs> That's probably a healthy thing. <laughs> I don't think I've ever, I've never heard a candidate say, I'm, I'm getting my butt kicked here. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm leaving the race. I'm trying to save myself Nobody for the humiliation. So That's bad. right. Well, actually, that would be refreshing if uh, someone <laughs> someone did say that. Uh, I, I think I, I think it does uh, make sense what you say about about uh, putting the work in, and I, and I think it, it may not be as closely related to his being a Republican, former Republican, but there's something to be said for, despite being a very articulate and and high profile. Uh, critic of, of Trump and Trumpism, just thinking that you can switch parties and, mm -hmm. and come run for the second and arguably, arguably when it comes to getting stuff done, the most powerful office in the state, I can see right. where there would be resistance. 
uh, yep. amongst um, uh, party members. And and again, I, for all that he said about diverse diversity, uh, I think what really bothers me about that comment is that it's it's he's saying diversity for diversity's sake. Yeah, that uh, any woman, any person of color would be right. would would be better than any white man. And I would, you know, I, 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 I don't think that, I mean, if I thought that, that Dowd or somebody else was the best choice mm-hmm. had the strongest chance to, to be the Dan Patrick, then by all means, he should be him. But just to say that, uh, and then to your point also, Tim, not to know that, that um, the race would become a bit more diverse before, before our things were settled. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 it was, it was a, a, a brief and a kind of a strange campaign. Uh, I think he's, a, he's an interesting figure. Absolutely. And, and, and a really articulate, you know, sort of a analyst when it comes to our current political climate, but this, this campaign obviously just never really, never really took off. I, I mentioned at the beginning that this is the, the filing deadline. And so uh, one of the races that we're, we're looking at a, uh, a lot is Bear County judge. I mean, this is the first time we've had an open seat and, in two decades. And I think this is really going to be, uh, uh, something to watch. We've got on the, on the democratic side, and this is really probably where the, the race will be decided. We've got, um, you know, state rep who's decided, uh, to, to leave the legislature. We've got former, uh, district court judge, Peter Sakai, and then coming into the race fairly late as, uh, Eva Lise Mesa Gonzalez, who has been the chief of staff for mayor Ron Nuremberg. And she's the daughter of Choco Mesa, who's a legend in local political uh, circles. There had also been talk about Ed Garza running. He had indicated that he was interested in running. And um, uh, he, I contacted him this morning and he said that he, he, he prayed on the decision and decided that he was not going to run. So we really have like three big candidates in that Democratic race. Kerry, when you look at, uh, at what's going on there, I mean, what, what's, what stands out to you? Well, I think Eva Lee's was that's news that uh, Ed not getting in, uh, but Eva Lee's entry into the race uh, really makes it more interesting. I mean, you do, you do have three big names because uh, I have to I have to say up front beforehand that uh, when when I was uh, Congressman Castro's district director, I hired Eva Lee's as our uh, mm. second intern. In fact, she would have mm-hmm. been our first intern, except that yeah. her brother was going to go work for. Joaquin in his DC office, so uh, it, it's I I don't know how this is going to be. I, I do I I do wonder about the dynamics of uh, having two Latinas in the race because I yeah. do believe that there's a, a a a a strong drive as there should be to have a a, a Latina elected and just wonder what happens if you know what what's going to happen with with two in it. Um, and of course, you know, I think we still wonder about uh, Judge Sakai, great man that he is, mm-hmm. uh, going into a race with a totally different skill set of what we're used to seeing him operate with over the past 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Greg, I want to, want to get your thoughts on the race in general, but I guess I would begin by mm-hmm. asking about the endorsement uh, for Eva Lise Mesa Gonzalez from. Mayor Ron, Ron Nuremberg, who has been her boss um, over the last few years, hmm. how much of a factor is that going to be? Do you think? Oh, you know, I, <laughs> or will I just it be have a, a hard time <laughs> taking endorsements. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I just don't take endorsements seriously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. I, I really don't, uh, you know, in, in part because, you know, there there are uh, a ton of conversations that precede them, uh, none of which have anything to do with the electorate, with actual voters, uh, mm-hmm. you know, endor- people, elected officials will make endorsements for their own reasons. I think in this case, you know, he's clearly, you know, the, the mayor, she's been his chief of staff for what, three years? Uh, he knows her very well. Um, and he knows, you know, he probably has a pretty good feel for her, uh, you know, her support in the community. I would imagine, you know, it's, uh, Chopa Mesa was a legend. I mean, you know, she, you know, she's, she was closely associated with, with Henry Cisneros and she was a, she was kind of a masterful grassroots organizer. So you Mm got to think that at least, inherited some of that, at least through the genes. I mean, she, you know, you know, genetically, and she watched her mom work. Uh, So she's probably got some grassroots support. I'm sure Nirenberg has picked up on that. Uh, I'm sure he's, you know, he's, like I said, he's worked closely with her. So I'm sure it's a sincere endorsement. um, But I don't know that she's going to get that much from it. Would have been a bigger story if he refused to endorse. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You know, I guess like yeah, Nick, that's Nick, right. Nixon, like probably, Nixon, Eisenhower not endorsing Nixon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like you kind of take it for granted, uh, but I don't. I don't think she gets that much from a Nuremberg endorsement. No. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if he does, like you know, if he does ads or if he really gets out there and, and works for, it, I guess it depends on how. I think I know Leticia Vanderpute uh, is also, uh, you know, strongly supporting her. She's gonna. She's there are a lot of people who are who you know established figures in the local Democratic. Uh, party who are who are going to be behind her. I think that's going to be, you know, beneficial. It's what, what the reason I find this race so fascinating is just because I think you could, I, I, I've heard people make a case for all three of these candidates and, but I really don't know how it's going to play out because uh, Ivelisse Mesa Gonzalez for all the, it's, it's obvious that she has quite a bit of support. I mean, that's been clear in the, in the short time since she entered the race, but she's never actually run, uh, for anything uh, aside from like a, a Democratic Party precinct chair, so it's there's a little bit of a question mark there. Ina Minjares, uh, I think, is certainly re- respected uh, as a state representative, but you know when you're running countywide, this is a different thing. Um, and Peter Sakai, I, one of the things that I find, uh, you know, with with uh, you know judicial figures is that um, you know they they can get elected repeatedly and, and get a lot of support, but it's hard to really know what to make of that. And I think we've seen that already in the attorney general's race where you have Eva Guzman, who was a tremendous vote getter uh, as, a, as, a, as a member of the Texas Supreme Court. But, you know, the polls are indicating she, she hasn't really been able to generate much support for attorney general because a lot of times people are voting uh, in these judicial races and don't really, you know, know that much uh, about the individuals or it just, it, there isn't that same level of connection that you might have in, in certain other political races. So Peter Sakai is, is, I think really widely admired in the community, but this is a really different type of, of race for him. And so I just, I look at this and I think, I don't even I really, know how you would begin to, to rank this. I, yeah, exactly. I don't, I have no idea. I, it, 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 it really is. It really, it really is a fascinating race. And I don't know how you would begin to, I mean, you just did a great job of laying out advantages and disadvantages, but ultimately it's, you know, once we, once we see the kind of campaigns they run, how they interact, 
how they connect with the voters, but just just on paper, boy, it's, it's gonna be fun. Yeah. I think that, that people, you know, again, you know, identity politics always plays a role. And as you said, Carrie, I mean, there is definitely a, you know, a strong push. And I think certainly among Democrats to see a Latina in that, in that office. So, I mean, one thing that I will hear from people who speculate, and that's all we're doing at this point, is that uh, it, we might have a situation where um, you might have a, a runoff with Peter Sakai versus you know, either Ina Mijares or, or Eva Lee. So, um, yeah. you know, it, I, I don't know that it's necessarily going to play that way, but I mean, that's, I think one thing that a lot of people are kind of looking at and thinking that could be a possible, a possibility. And, and if that, if it starts to look like that's the way the race is going to go, then it might turn into a situation where, uh, you know, the, Politics may sort of dictate that they sort of have are kind of running against each other. We sometimes see that within you know certain, um, yeah, you know, multi candidate races where you maybe you have two candidates who kind of see this is the person maybe blocking me from from the runoff or, you know, and so they start to focus more of their attention on on, on that candidate. I don't know if that's going to happen here, but I think that's going to be interesting. Um, I wanted to, to before we wrap things up, talk a little bit about a story that's been in, in the news and it's got national attention. Um, the the NEISD, uh, I guess I would refer to it as the NEISD book purge, um, and this has been uh, this is a story that's really rooted in what happened in the state legislature this past year and and the 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 uh, the drive to s- sort of block critical race theory or anything that that was perceived by uh, Texas Republicans as as being critical race theory, and uh, in October we saw. Uh, Republican state representative, uh, Matt Krause, who is, uh, currently running for attorney general. He is the chairman of the Texas house committee on general investigating. And he sent a letter to the Texas education agency agency, and also to school superintendents encouraging them. Uh, he basically provided them a list of books that he thought were problematic. And he encouraged them to go through these books and to identify ones that, uh, that met certain criteria that he felt, uh, that he that he listed for uh, removing these books, and among them, uh, he said to that if they found the books that were had sexually explicit images, um, uh, books that make this is really this is the thing that I think a lot of people focused on books that makes uh, students feel quote discomfort, guilt, anguish, or any other form of psychological distress because of their race or sex, or convey that a student by virtue of their race or sex is inherently racist, sexist, or oppressive whether consciously or unconsciously. So um, that was, uh, you know, I think he's certainly, he wants to be attorney general and he wants to get, he wanted to get attention for himself and it wasn't a shock that he did it. Uh, but I think it was a shock to some of us when the, uh, when NEISD uh, recently revealed that they had been going through their books and uh, deciding, I think they temporarily moved 400 and they're going through and, and uh, deciding which ones they, they want to uh, remove or uh, or relocate, uh, Greg. What what's what's your take on this story? <laughs> I think it's I think it's in in general appalling. <laughs> yeah, I think, I'm with you. I think anytime uh, anytime uh, you know a demagogue running for uh, for a higher office talks about uh, banning books, maybe we should be a little wary of that. <laughs> uh, particularly when we're really talking about a, a, a list of books that includes you, you know, a lot of 
actual uh, history. Uh, there's that, and explores issues of homosexuality, bisexuality, transsexuality, all kinds of stuff uh, that you know maybe we should be aware of. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just very disturbing and it's disturbing that um, a school district as large as NEISD is is taking it seriously, frankly. Um, that's that's right. Know, I, I think a lot of a lot of school districts have not responded and kudos to them. Uh, yeah. I think it's a shame that NEISD is is responding and has come up with a list of more than 400 books uh, that they've pulled from their shelves. Carrie, what would you, I know the editorial board put out a really strong statement about this. Um, and we were talking beforehand and you mentioned that, that this was a, that Josh Burdesky wrote this, he did a great job on this. What do you, what, what was your reaction when you heard about NEISD, um, yeah. doing this? It's, it's, I mean, Greg used the word appalling. It's, it's, it's embarrassing. It's shameful. I mean, someone like Krauss is, you know, you know, demagogue is kind of demagogue. Yeah. Uh, but for but for any ISD to take it serious and do more than take it serious, but to affirm it. Mm-hmm. And just as I would, I wish uh, Krauss would tell us specifically what is it about each of the eight hundred books he wants challenged. What is it that bothers him about each one of those? I would like the superintendent to tell us what is it about these four hundred books specifically that he's read, and I know he's taking the time to read them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the times when, and you, you know, you know, people are going to do and propose awful things, but when you have people and in organizations, institutions and in school districts giving it air like this, uh, that makes it especially awful. And, you know, if we're going to be careful about anything that just, that discomforts us, that makes us feel comfortable when we read, then what's the point of reading? What's the point of reading Krauss's proposal? It makes us uncomfortable. That's, 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 it's the, insane. The, that's the key point. And, uh, you know, they've, they've reviewed, they, they temporarily pulled 400, they were reviewing them. I think that as of, you know, the last that we heard on this, they've, they've actually decided to pull or to relocate 75 books. We don't know much about them. I think the four that they've, titles that, that, that have been shared are all either uh, by, by women or, or people of color or LGBT, uh, members of the LGBT mm-hmm. community. Or uh, So, um, as you said, Carrie, I mean, you know, you, it's hard. You could you could pretty much make the case that uh, for for any book that you just uh, that you want to suppress, that it makes certain people uncomfortable. I mean, that's what that's what literature at its best does. I mean, sometimes for good reasons, and there there, there are certainly examples of you know bad examples of that. But this mm-hmm. is you know it, it, any I think any great literature um, is going to make people uncomfortable. Any history that is accurate, that, that, uh, that is, uh, mm-hmm. that, that is fair. It's going to make people uncomfortable. How could it not make people uncomfortable? That's the key, Gilbert. That's the key history that is accurate. That's at the heart of all of this. It's at the heart of this. It's at the heart of critical race theory. It's, the, at, the, it's at the heart of going after the 1619 project. It's any history that's, that's, that's real, that's different from our own history, mm-hmm. from the history that we've been taught, that's different from, from the mythologies that we've been taught. And that's what it's all about. Then you, of course, you go into sexuality and, 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 
it's it's all about not wanting to feel uncomfortable with facts, not wanting to feel uncomfortable when faced with truth or experiences which are different from our own and what we've been taught. It's the fear of ideas, the fear, uh, probably ultimately the fear uh, from some parents, which I think he's believes he's representing, who, the fear that if their their kids are exposed to ideas that um, that maybe clash with myths that 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 are that, that, that the parents might want to perpetrate, that if the, if this is if the kids are exposed to it, it's gonna it's gonna it's going to alter their worldview. It's going to shake them up, which is, I, I think, a good thing. But, um, but it's it's that kind of fear. And you know, one of the books um, on Krauss's list was uh, "Between the World and Me" by Tenehasi Coates, which you know is is probably one of yeah. the most illuminating books that any anyone in the United States has written in the last decade or longer. And and, and it's going to make it will make mm-hmm. many people uncomfortable, absolutely, because it's 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 really it's just unflinching. And it's very, it's very blunt and it's very honest. And, uh, but I think it has so much that high school students, for example, could, could, can derive from that. And the idea that you're just, you know, we can't, we can't let people see this. And you're right. Yes. And to show that it's also, it's about the names because everyone, even if you haven't read them, people know Natanashi Coates. And, but one of of Coates' other books on there is, is We Were Eight Years in Power, which Mm -hmm. is a collection of his journalism, mostly from the Atlantic. And it's the reference to, to Obama's eight years in the White House. So you have this, this, this work, this book of collected journalism being that, that Krauss wants to look at. Why? It's because it's because Coates wrote it. Yeah. Well, one of the one of the people we had on our podcast a few months back, Adam Serwer, who writes for the Atlantic and is probably one of the most you know brilliant mm, yeah. sort of uh, uh, analysts uh, of, of you know of American society right now. He Amen. he has kind of a running joke that he that, he's, that he does, which is you know whenever you see something like this, he'll say, "Oh, this this." Uh, this left-wing cancel culture is really getting out of hand, you know, and he's, he's joking about yeah. the fact that, that we always hear from, you know, conservatives that uh, people on the left are trying to cancel everybody. And we, we are getting a lot of examples of it coming from the other end of the political expe- spectrum. So again, I'm not surprised Krauss did this, but I, th- I, I think that NEISD, uh, and if they've kind of tried to downplay how much they were affected by him and, 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 and that this uh, tried to make it seem as though this is something that they were maybe going to do anyway. Um, but it's, it's, it's pretty clear if you look at what's going on here. And I think that, that regardless of how many books they end up pulling in the end, the, the fact that they are basically dancing to this demagogue's tune already, already, already that's, that's shameful. And so that's, that's, I think the key point. Um, I think we're going to leave things there. Um, and thank everybody for, for listening in. Hope everyone's doing well and hope the, the holiday season is, is, is treating you well and uh, we'll be back next week. Take care.